It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Pastor Xavier Reese suggests heeding this simple truth. Every person deserves the judgment that God brings upon them because they've got a lifetime of warning. They've got historical warning. They've got biblical warning. And they sin against that warning. How many warnings have not been heeded by many nations as well as individuals regarding how they live their lives? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Whether it be the sight of Niagara Falls from the misty riverbank or the resulting tidal wave from a tsunami, it's easy to be overwhelmed by both the beauty of God's creation and the awesome power unleashed from within. And so it is with God's policy towards sin. Although by His amazing grace our hearts are washed as white as snow if we seek His forgiveness. On the other hand, His judgment is as sure as it is severe for unrepentance. And as Pastor Xavier turns to Jeremiah chapter 48 and the judgment of the Moabites today, we'll see a God who repeatedly offered deliverance in exchange for repentance. But in the end, Moab chose destruction. Let's listen. George Washington said it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Daniel Webster said, No truth is more evident to my mind than that the Christian religion must be basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of a free people. More important than these two men is what the scriptures say. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance in Psalm 33, 12. Our nation bears the undeniable marks of God's guidance and favor. From our preamble in the Constitution to the inscription on our money in God we trust. In our capital, there are monuments after monuments that remind us of our historical boasting in God. But our present accuses us of our change of allegiance. We are commanded to pray for our leaders and thank God for the Christian politicians. And we should pray diligently. Our prayer is that our nation would return to what it once was. Whether we will or not, God alone knows. But certainly the course we have taken is not a favorable one. Though God's mercy is still upon us, and mercy is less than we deserve, by the way. Any nation that fails to look to God for their direction is like a blind man trying to cross the freeway. It's just a matter of time before he gets hit. The judgment of Moab that we're going to be looking at here is the longest judgment of the nations except for Babylon. From chapter 46 to 51. Around 599-98, Moab pursued Judah to join Judah as well as Ammon, Edom, and Tyre and Sidon to organize some opposition against Babylon, which Jeremiah opposed in Jeremiah 27.3. Because God says these nations were supposed to submit themselves to Nebuchadnezzar. And there are many other prophets who have prophesied against Moab. Isaiah 15, 16 have great parallels to this. 
Ezekiel 25, 8 through 11, Amos 2, 1 through 3, Zephaniah 2, 8 through 11, and of course, Jeremiah. So Moab is, um, is something that God is always dealing with. Now, the judgment against Moab is marked by three common characteristics that can be found both in nations as well as people that are given to us here in verse 1 through 30. Let me read this. Against Moab, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Woe to Nebo, for it is plundered. Kirhatham is shamed and taken. The high uh, strongholds is shamed and dismayed. No more praise of Moab. In Heshbon they have devised evil against her. Come and let us cut her off as a nation. You also shall be cut down, O madman. The sword shall pursue you. A voice of crying shall be from Horam and plundering a great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have caused to cry to be heard. For in the ascent of Leos, they ascend with continued weeping. For in the descent of Hornaim, the enemies have heard a cry of destruction. Flee, save your lives, and be like the juniper in the wilderness. For because you have trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken, and Chemosh shall go forth into captivity his priests and his princes together. And the plunder shall come against you every city. No one shall escape. The valleys that also perish and the plain shall be destroyed as the Lord has spoken. And give wings to Moab that she may flee and get away for her cities shall be desolate without any to dwell in them. Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from blood. Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled in his dregs and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remains in him and his sin has not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I shall send him wine workers who will tip him over and empty his vessels and break the bottles. Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. How can you say we are mighty and strong men for the war? Moab has plundered and gone up from her cities. Her chosen young men have um, gone down to the slaughter, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The calamity of Moab is near at hand, and his affliction comes quickly. Bemoan him, all you who are around him, and all you who know his name. Say how the strong shaft is broken in the beautiful rod. O daughter inhabiting Dibon, come down from your glory and sit in thirst. For the plunder of Moab has come against you. He has destroyed your strongholds. O inhabitant Orar, stand by the way and watch. Ask him who flees and her who escapes. Say, what has happened? Moab is shame, for he is broken down. Wail and cry, tell it in Arnon that Moab is plundered. And judgment has come on the plain countries of Holon and, and Jezak and Mephna and Dibon and Nebo and Beth-Dibotham and Kirhath-Ham and Beth-Gamul and Beth-Mion and Kiriath and Bozrah. On the cities of the land of Moab, far or near, the horn of Moab is cut off and the arm is broken, says the Lord. Make him drunk. Because he exalted himself against the Lord, Moab shall wallow in his vomit, and he shall also be in derision. 
For was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves? For whenever you spoke of him, you shake your head in scorn. And you who dwell in Moab, leave the cities and dwell in the rock. And be like the dove which makes his rest in the sides of the cave's mouth. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is exceedingly proud of his loftiness and arrogance and pride and of the haughtiness of his heart. I know his wrath, says the Lord, but it is not right. His lies have made nothing right. The judgment against Moab is marked by these three common characteristics. First, the judgment of Moab was deserved, verse 1 through 10. Secondly, the judgment of Moab was self-inflicted, verse 11 through 17. And thirdly, the judgment of Moab was irreparable, verses 18 through 30. The judgment of Moab was deserved, verse 1 through 10. Whenever anyone hears you say something like that, they're shocked. Their first response is, how dare you? How, how dare you judge? How, how can you know? How can you be so arrogant and say that? But we as Christians have great precedence for what we say because it is recorded in Scripture. All these things are recorded that we might learn from them and that we might take warning as we're see. Notice in verse 1, the coming judgment was proclaimed by way of warning. The judgment was against Moab's strongholds. God always warns. If you look from Genesis on, God always gave warning and he's never brought judgment without warning. The source's divine was again the captain of the armies of heaven here. And the God of Israel against Moab. The Moabites, as you know, were the descendants of Lot's older daughter through the incestuous relationship in Genesis 19.37. They thought that God had destroyed all the world and there was no other man, so they got their dad drunk and the first... Daughter went in, and then the second one, and uh, one of them was the result of the Moabites. The other one is the Ammonites. King Balak, as you know from Moab, hired Balaam the prophet to curse them as they came out of Egypt. But God did not allow that. So they were enemies. Numbers 22 through 24. And then when they came to the land, the tribe of Reuben was assigned their inheritance, the land of Moab, in Numbers 32 and Joshua 13. You see, Reuben was one of those tribes that they were cattlemen and they saw the green pastures better on the east side of Jordan. But God says, no, I want your inheritance on the west side. But then they made the deal. Okay, you go and settle the land with us and then when we're all settled, you can come back and take that land. Isn't it interesting that God will sometimes give you His permissive will? Okay, you want to have that? You're stubborn enough? Go ahead. But you notice that Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe Manasseh settled on the east side? They were the first to go into captivity through Assyria. You want God's perfect will or permissive will? It can make a difference. Both Moab and Ammon joined the Chaldeans in the attack of Judah. Jeremiah 12, 7-13 told us. So they were enemies. And you have to remember the book of Ruth. As Naomi leaves because of the famine and the drought and they go to Moab and... There they settle, and their two, her husband, Elimelech, dies, and her two boys went with her, uh, Malon and Chilion, sickly and tiny, and they died too. And uh, she comes back all bitter. But with her came Ruth, the Moabitess, who was a great-grandmother of David. 
Notice, secondly, in verse 2 through 3, the end of the nation is declared in judgment. In verse 2, it says, Moab shall have no more praise. She shall not be boasted about anymore. She shall not be in the position of recognition. Pride. We're going to get into this a little bit more as we move along. Pride will kill you. Pride says, look at me. Pride says, man, I'm so good. Pride says, I don't make mistakes. Pride says, I don't care what they say. Pride doesn't congratulate the other fighter and just goes off to the hospital. It'll kill you. In Heshbon, they have devised evil against her, says. Come and let us cut her off as a nation. Heshbon was the territory of Ammon. On the northmost boundary of Moab, you have Edom, Moab, and Ammon. On the, what's called today Jordan. And it's in the border between Reuben and Gad that this was at. And apparently this is where the invasion began. There's a play on words here between Heshbon and the word device. For Heshbon means think or plot. The city think or plot has been plotted against by God. <laughs> this is poetry. By the way, it was a Levitical city. Joshua 21, 39 tells us. You also should be cut down, O madman. Madman's not a man. It's a city. It means dunghill. Another play on words here. The phrase cut her off means to be silent. She would be silent like a dunghill altogether. The sword shall pursue you. She would no longer go unpunished. There comes a time and you and I see people in the world and we know even family members at times or our own children and we see them and, and we look at people and we say, you know, it's just a matter of time. The guy keeps going where he's going and or they just keep living with it. It's just a matter of time. But they themselves cannot see it. Notice in verse 3, the judgment shifts from the, to the south. A voice crying shall be from Horanim, another city here. The outcome was plunder and great destruction. And then when you come to verse 4 and 5, he gives us the fearful scenario. During the judgment is described here. In verse 4, the horrible cry of the defenseless children of war. And that's always the case where there's war. It's the children, it's the women, it's the defenseless. And if you know anything about the Babylonians, they were, they were just uh, ruthless. They would run by on their horses. And as moms were running away with their children, they would go by and grab the children by the arm, swing them around, and smash their heads up against the rock. Babylonians were ruthless. The attack that would come from the north and the south would cause Moab to despair, verse 5 tells us. For the ascent of Leuth, they ascend with continual weeping. For in the descent of Hornaim, the enemies have heard a cry of destruction. So you can imagine the despair. They, they, they've been protected all along to an extent by their geographical location. And all of a sudden, the judgment has come upon them. But notice fourthly in verse 6 through 10, the reason for her destructive judgment is revealed. Moab being surrounded from the north and south went into panic and hysteria, forcing her to her desert to be like a juniper in the wilderness, vulnerable. No more protection. Moab had trusted, notice, her own works and treasures. So she would be taken. Here's her, one of her sins. First one that's mentioned. Her works and her treasures. They became her gods. 
But also Moab worshipped, in verse 7 there, false gods, the chief god of Moab, Chemosh, which means subduer. He would go into captivity along with his priests and his princes altogether. Her gods were worthless. Often the gods were taken into captivity. Isaiah 4, 1 through 2 and Isaiah 43, 12 tells us that in carts because they were made of gold or silver. And when you overcome a nation, you, you, you pilfer them. You take all, all the booty, all, all, all the price. How sad that you have gods that, that have, can be stolen or taken or defeated. When I was a Catholic, you know, I would pray to saints and all that. And if there was an earthquake that night, my little saints would fall down and I have to get up in the morning and put them up again. Uh, really, they should have been praying to me because I was still standing. Um, but I was sincere, but I was sincerely mistaken. And it's only the grace of God that opens your eyes to the foolishness of worshiping something that's nothing but brass or wood. Moab's judgment would be thorough, verse 8 tells us. The plunder would come against every city. No one would escape. The valleys also would perish and the plain would be destroyed. All according to Yahweh's revelation beforehand. Why beforehand? Because God always gives warning. You and I as parents always warn our children because we love them. Verse 9, Moab's attempt to flee would be futile. Her cities would be left without inhabitants. And notice that God pronounces a curse. On the one who was called by Yahweh to be the instrument of judgment. That one to execute judgment on Moab was Babylon. And the curse on he who does the work of the Lord deceitfully holding back his sword regarding blood. In other words, this is God's judgment. The instrument is Babylon. And the Babylonians who would hold back their sword, God would get them. Now that may sound unfair, unloving. But remember, there's been warning after warning after warning. And God is going to use a more evil nation to judge this nation. And then later on, we're going to find out in chapter 1551 that God will turn around and judge Babylon for her evil. You remember the two criminals on the cross? They were hanging there, blaspheming Jesus. And the gospel records, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, and says, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The thief on the cross knew that he deserved the judgment he was getting. Let me tell you, every person deserves the judgment that God brings upon them. Because they've got a lifetime of warning. They've got life experience of warning. They've got historical warning. They've got biblical warning. And they sin against that warning. How many warnings have not been heeded by many nations as well as individuals regarding how they live their life? Or not paying attention to the authority of their home, their father, their mother. Living against common sense. The deception is in the immediate reaping of pleasure and self-benefit always. Listen, listen. Pleasure always triumphs over pain. Because pleasure is immediate. 
And it's so tempting that you figure, I can escape the consequences. But you can't. And while focusing on the reaping of the immediate pleasure and self-benefit, you're ignoring the long-term reaping through the sowing in life. Here as well as eternity. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says that God is not mock. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he reaps corruption. If he sows to the spirit, he reaps life eternal. That principle is absolute, Christian or non-Christian. Makes no difference. I think of India, how she worships her million gods. And really, as she does this, she's brought on her own economic and social condition. Because she can't eat the cow and she can't kill the rats and all these other gods. And they bathe in the river that there's all kinds of disease and bodies and everything else. And it's self-inflicted, isn't it? The judgment's deserved, isn't it? It's not like they're ignorant. It's not like they haven't heard the gospel. We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, Paul says, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as others, Ephesians 2, 3. There's no one, an exception. But there comes a time when we have to respond to the gospel or reject it, one of the two. The problem is that basically the nations and people trust in their own work or treasures. They become the source of ability and power to deliver them so often. And therefore they become their gods. And they worship them and they, and they, and they commit their whole life to it. To working and, and thriving and gaining and, and power and ability. And there's nothing wrong with the things in and of themselves, but it's trusting in them to deliver you, trusting in them to escape God's judgment. That's what's wrong. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Simple wisdom goes a long ways. And for the most part, with few exceptions, as we might think, every nation and person in the world deserves the judgment of God, unless they're in Christ Jesus. Because Christ Jesus is the only way to escape the wrath of God. There's no one else. Uh, people would want us to make it broader. We can't. People want to say, well, you know, how can you say that? I, I don't say that. God said that. I can't change the gospel. He signed it in blood. And the reason is fundamental. Paul says to the Romans in Romans 3, 10 uh, and 11, and then in verse 23, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody in the world. We've all fallen from God's ideal. We all have sin nature. We all rebel against God. The wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, Romans 6.23. So that's the hope. That's what God is pushing for. That is what God offers constantly. He doesn't deny to anybody, whosoever will, come. Whosoever's thirsty, drink. He offers to all. That's why the Great Commission was given to the disciples. That's why we're obedient to the Great Commission. So the judgment of Moab was deserved. God cannot be accused. Pastor Xavier Reese, summarizing the message of the gospel and the importance of choosing to put trust into that which ensures eternal life versus that which can only offer destruction. 
important simple truths illustrated by the Moabites of Jeremiah chapter 48. Now, there's much more to this study to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message. And the title you want to ask for is simply, God's Judgments Are Perfect. It's available on CD for only $4. Once again, the title to ask for is God's Judgments Are Perfect. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. By putting your trust in earthly works and treasures, you're liable to find yourself put right in the judgment of God. That's next time as Pastor Xavier Reese draws more simple truths in our continuation of Jeremiah chapter 48. Tell a friend. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 